Please turn with me to Mark chapter 16. We're going to be in verse 15. Mark 16, verse 15. And as you do that, put a finger in John 9, as well as Acts 26. So, three passages, Mark 16, 15, John 9, and then also Acts uh, 26. If you've got a bulletin on the way in, we also inserted this for you. You can follow along with the message. If you didn't get one of these, we've got more in the foyer out on the pillars. You'll want to pick one of these up. We are doing a three-week series on the Great Commission, looking at how we can share our faith uh, with others. I think most of us want to fulfill the Great Commission, don't we? We want to tell people about Jesus. We want to see people come to know Christ as their Savior. But many times it's difficult, isn't it? And so we're going to look at some practical things tonight of really how to be able to share the gospel through our testimony, through God's story uh, in our lives. So join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We, we thank you for your love for the world. And God, we just ask that there would be a lot of fruit that would happen in our lives. A lot of rejoicing that would take place tonight as we think about how you saved us, of how you got a hold of our lives, what you're doing currently. And we pray also that you would give us opportunities to speak the gospel, to, to speak what you have done and how you have saved us. So we give this service over to you, and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 16, verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Christ has risen from the dead, and he declares, I want you to go. And I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. And we talked about this in great detail last week, about what the gospel is, and being intentional about going and sharing and preaching the gospel. And we're going to specifically look at tonight the power of our testimony, that God has given you a testimony. Now that word tends to be a little bit overused in Christian circles, isn't it? Sometimes we use words so much that we have to step back and go, what do they really mean? If you were to give testimony in a court of law, you're giving witness to what you have seen and heard. And that's what your testimony is, is you're giving witness to what God has done and he is currently doing in your life. In Revelation 12, it tells us how they overcame Satan. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their lives. They'd surrender their lives to the Lord. So there's power in your testimony. Tonight, if we had the opportunity to sit and share how we got saved, how we came to know Christ as our Savior, how he's been faithful in our lives, we would be encouraged. Uh, at the gym this morning, I was talking with a friend, uh, his name is Victor, and he was sharing with me how he came to know Christ as a Savior. I've known him for some time, but I've never heard that story. And I was so encouraged. I came home and, and told my wife, Amber, you know, th this is how Victor came to know Christ as his Savior. And that happens as we share our testimony, as we give witness to how God is working and has worked in our lives. First Peter 3, verse 15 says, but I sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Most times we think of this verse as an apologetic verse. Not that I'm apologizing for my faith. When we think of apology, it's, it's in the sense of being, having an answer and a defense for our faith. 
But I think the original intent of 1 Peter 3.15 is this, is that you're always ready to share of the hope that's inside of you. It's much more in the vein of giving witness to Christ in your life than arguing with people. I've never personally experienced someone get argued into the kingdom of God. But I have seen people come into the kingdom of God as they notice your life and they see that you have hope and they say, why are you different? Why do you have hope? And then you're ready, you're prepared. And so that's part of tonight is we want to be prepared. We always want to be prepared and be ready to share the hope that's within us. 1 John 1 verse 3 says this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. 1 John chapter 1, he says, We're sharing what we have seen and heard. It's our prayer as a pastoral staff that this weekend, this weekend service, and these three weekends would be a little bit different in the life of our church. I want you to shift gears with me right now. And if you've come to Rocky Mountain Calvary for some time, you know that our habit is we go through books of the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And I love that. It's so important. And we get fed and encouraged. But this is the mode that I want you to to go into tonight is to be prepared to go out there. And that's really what God is doing every week as we come into the sanctuary. It's not just for our comfort, our enjoyment, but he's preparing us to go be be a witness. And even right now to start to meditate and to think about, you know, how did I come to know Christ as my Savior? And this is geared towards believers, and maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe tonight's going to be the beginning of your testimony, of you receiving Christ as your Savior. But if you're a believer, you have a testimony. You have God's working in your life. And begin to think about what was going on in my life that brought me to Christ. Was it a slow process? Was it something that was very dramatic? And what's so unique is everyone got saved a little bit differently. It's the same message. It's believing in Jesus Christ and him crucified. But begin to think about that and meditate upon that. And then think about declaring that story. And a lot of times we think, well, you know, if I haven't killed anybody, I don't have a powerful testimony. You know, there's a, a pastor in Southern California. God's used him in a, in a powerful way. And, and he was coming home ready to kill his family and got saved just before he committed murder to his family. Now, that's not my testimony. I, I don't have that testimony. Mine is very different to that. And we oftentimes think, well, if mine wasn't that dramatic, then I don't, I don't have a testimony. What if you grew up in a Christian home and got saved at a young age and never had these crazy wild years of rebellion? Isn't that a testimony to God's grace as well? That he got a hold of your heart at a young age and kept you from those things? So this is what we're going to do tonight. Is In just a moment, we're going to roll a video, and it's going to give you an example of someone's testimony. And as you think about it, think about your, your own story. Then we're going to look at two testimonies in the Bible, John 9 and Acts 26. And then we're going to talk for a few minutes about how to practically prepare your testimony. So this next video is six minutes. It's a little bit longer, but just take it in and rejoice in what God uh, did in this uh, young man's life. My story begins kind of like it's a fish out of water story even though i was born in south central la my particular story starts 20 minutes outside of that in the san Gabriel valley in west covina la puente area so i grew up in like an all 
Mexican, like super violent neighborhood. I didn't even know it was as dangerous as it was. I just thought that that's just that's how people live. My neighbor's house became a crack house. Like I didn't know that. I just knew they didn't turn on their electricity. And I thought it was like camping, like they're, you know, they cook with candles, but no, it was crack. I was the one black kid being teased because of my color, getting chased home, getting banged on, you know, when you're walking home, like, where you from, me? I'm like, and I recognize homie, like, I'm like, Paco, man, like, I live two streets from you. What are you talking about? And then even when we moved out to the suburbs, even there, again, like, that was a predominantly Caucasian neighborhood, and we were the poor kids that just moved in, and, um, and just these weird black people that spoke Spanish, you know what I'm saying? And, like, they just couldn't, they didn't get us. And even down the street at the church we went to, for some reason for me, I was getting convicted. Like, I feel like God has split the roof open and is talking to me directly. But the guys that were my age, I remember them not being affected at all. But it would just trip me out, cause like, I felt like nobody else felt like that. But in my mind, it went back to just same way I grew up. Well, I've been the only my whole life. So if I'm gonna be the only here, I'll be the only there. Meanwhile, church service I was never missing. Mama made me take notes to see if I was listening. But I lived among the Mexicans, so I never did the crip thing. Instead, they gave me cans to write my name up on the bricks thing. All the while God was training me to hear his voice. Cause only he knew that I would soon make a choice. I was this tagger, slash rapper, son of a black panther. And it got high hopes for him, he gon' be a pastor. So should he run with the church boys, the backpackers of thugs? And, and it's funny, it seemed like the Lord's answer was all of the above. I like to say that I was slow cooked um, in that I would say it started in sixth grade and then culminated my junior year examining just my experience in life and just always, again, feeling like I don't belong. Whether I was born the wrong color, in the wrong neighborhood, in the wrong decade, to the wrong parents, like all this, like I'm just not an alpha male. I was an artist, like I, I, was, I, I would draw all the time. I wrote poetry, come on now, you know what I'm saying? So I think there was a moment when my father finally pointed to a particular passage, uh, Psalms 139, before you were in the womb, I knew you. He said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows well. And I think that it was there that I realized that my value is not determined by some particular innate quality that I have. No, your value is because God was willing to pay the cost of his son for you. That, that's the price he was willing to pay for you. But it cost me personally nothing. That all this was on purpose. Everything you are, your whole goulash of experiences and gifts, all the scars, every hurt, every failure, being spit on walking home, like all this, it's on purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're exactly what I want you to be. You was looking at a last born, rightful heir to the throne, son of a nobody with poverty in my bones, and that's beautiful. See, we ain't never had nothing, 
but nothing was sufficient. It kept my belly full of the stuff the rich was missing, and that's beautiful. My mama used to say, don't nothing God do go to waste. And uh, I'm seeing that happen in my life. When I started rapping full time, and doing poetry full time, being so comfortable, you know, among Mexicans, being able to, uh, to identify with their struggle. I know what it means, like I get it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I speak the language, I know the slang, I, I know the pitfalls, like I know all that. I feel like my run has been um, a, uh, a proclamation of that truth, that like my, my block didn't make me, you know, the creator did. So in honor of, of Jimi Hendrix, I string my life instrument backwards and choose to play the back because in the word last is first and that's beautiful. Like the pain and every scar you got, I prefer to call them life tattoos. They're masterpieces and they're beautiful. In the most intimate and personable way to say this, Christ has, he's given me personhood. My name is Jason Petty, AKA Propaganda. And I am second. All right, turn with me to John 9, and now let's look at a testimony uh, from God's Word the blind man uh, that was healed. Did you guys enjoy that? Does it give you a good idea of just telling your story, telling God's story in your life? So, John chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to read through this. Look at what God did in the blind man's life, and then look at how he testified of Christ's work. So John 9, verse 1, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What an assumption. They assumed that because he was blind, that it was a result of sin. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Not a result of sin, God's plan, so that his power, God's power, God's glory could be revealed through this blindness. I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This was a test of his faith and obedience. It's one thing to have someone make mud out of saliva, stick it in your eyes, then say, If you go wash, you'll be made healed. But he believed, and he obeyed, and he went. And as he walked in faith and obedience, he now is seeing. Imagine what that's like. He's born blind, heard of the color green, felt his mother's face, but now he's seeing all of these things. Therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? He was famous in Jerusalem for begging. There was no other way for him to provide for his needs, so he was known in the community, people start to talk and say, isn't this the one who begged? Isn't this the one who was born blind? Some said this is he. Others said he is like him. He said, I am he. He's like, yep, this is me, guys. 
Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? So he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Shiloh and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. He doesn't back away from the truth that Jesus was the one that healed him. He said, This man named Jesus healed me and I received my sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? Where is Jesus? He said, I don't know. Then they brought him, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. So now he's in trouble. Now he's got to go to the Pharisees, this blind man. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. There's the issue. It's the Sabbath day. The Pharisees think that Christ has violated the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees also asked him again whom he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Verse 17, They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? The blind man says he's a prophet. He's sent from God. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. No way. They don't believe him. Even though he's recognized, like, we better go get your parents to make sure that you were born blind. And they asked them, being the parents, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he, being Jesus, was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The parents have opportunity to give testimony, to testify, to give witness of what Christ has done. They know it was Jesus. They don't want to say that it's Jesus because they don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. How many times in our lives are we in the same place as these parents? where we know it was Jesus. Jesus did a work in our marriage. Jesus provided for our needs. Jesus forgave us of our sins. Jesus worked in the lives of our children. Jesus is the one that got us through the trial. But then when we're in the real world, around people that don't know Christ as their Savior, that we know they don't appreciate Christ, we back away from giving testimony to Jesus, don't we? Because we go, if I say the name Jesus, if I give credit where credit's due, that Christ was the one who has done this work, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be kicked out of the synagogue. So that was a real pressure for them, and it's a real pressure for us as well. And I think for us to get to the place where we're going to share God's story in our lives, we have to look at the fear issue. We have to say, God, would you please take away that, that fear? And I know for me, when I break through the fear barrier, it feels so good, doesn't it? Many times my heart starts beating. 
I know that the Holy Spirit wants me to speak, wants me to share. And when I can break through that fear and trust the Lord, it feels so good to speak of, of the things of God. In verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. So by claiming that Jesus did not do the miracle in their minds, you were giving God the glory. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that I was blind and now I see. He doesn't back away from giving testimony to Jesus Christ. Also, he doesn't get caught up in what he doesn't know. Like, he doesn't know yet fully about the identity of Jesus Christ. That's going to come in just a, a few more moments. So he says, I don't know about this, but this is what I know. And when we talk about Christ and we talk about God, people want to get us into these rabbit hole discussions. Get off track. Say, I don't know about that. I'm not an expert in that. You know, let me look into that more. But this is what I do know. I was blind and now I see. And he holds on to what God has done in his life. And he says it in a very short and concise way. This is what happened in my life. I was blind and, and now I see. What, what happened in your life? You know, can you communicate it? Can you hold on to it in a concise way? And this is what I love about testimony is you can't take it away from somebody. The critics can't take it away from you. It's happened in your life. You're forgiven. The change has, has taken place. What are they going to say? No, you weren't born blind. They can't refute the power of his testimony. In verse 26, then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you didn't know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. He's saying, Guys, you missed the point. You're all caught up in where he's from, where Jesus is from, but this is marvelous. He opened my eyes. We need to prepare ourselves that not everybody is going to appreciate our testimony. <laughs> the Pharisees do not appreciate this man's testimony, as marvelous as it is. Some will respond, but some won't respond. That's not our job. It's not our job to determine their response. It's simply to share the glory of the Lord. In verse 31, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Now this isn't completely accurate theology. God does hear sinners. That's how sinners are saved, amen? But from this man's perspective, he's saying God doesn't hear sinners. Since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He is right in his main point. He's saying this miracle proves that Jesus is from God. They answered and said to him, you are completely born in sins and you are teaching us and they cast him out. So they go right for the jugular. Go right back to what this man has heard his whole life. The reason that you're born blind 
is your parents sinned or you sinned. How do you sin in the womb? Come on. <laughs> it's like you were really a bad kid in the womb, you know? So that's why you were, you were born blind. So they say, we're not going to even, even listen to you. And they, they dismiss him completely. And then they cast him out. They cast him out of the synagogue. What happens next is amazing. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? So Christ hears that this man had been cast out of the synagogue, and he goes and finds him. He says, now do you believe that I am the Son of God? Yes, in sharing Christ, it may cause you to be cast out. But Christ is an outcast as well, isn't he? Christ has been rejected by the same group of Pharisees. Christ will come to you and he will encourage you. So may God give us that encouragement, that boldness, that willingness to be able to share, to give witness and testify, even if it does involve rejection. And he answered and he said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe him? It's like, who is this son of God? I'm ready to believe. And church, I want to encourage you that there are people that are ready to believe. God is doing a work in their heart, in their life, and he's going to bring you into their life at the perfect time to share the gospel that Christ died for their sins, was buried, rose again for their sins as they believe that they're saved. And we have to trust and know, God, you were working in my life. You were orchestrating things in my life to bring me to Christ. And you brought believers into my life to love me, to share the message of Christ, to share their testimony. So there are people out there who are ready to believe. Amen? Like I shared last week, I tend to have this mindset that everybody I encounter that's not a Christian doesn't want to hear about Christ. That's kind of how I go through my, my day. I think God's wanting to change that worldview. I guarantee it, there's people right over at King Supers tonight that are ready to believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe not all, for sure not all. Maybe not 90%, maybe only 1%, but that's pretty exciting. There's people that are ready to, to believe. This man was ready to believe. And Jesus said to him, you've both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees think that they see spiritually, but they're the ones that are truly blind. This testimony is speaking to the Pharisees, to those that want to believe, it's revealing their hearts. To those that are walking in unbelief, it is revealing their hearts as well. Let's say you're, you're sitting with some coworkers at work, and God really provides for your family. Let's say you needed some transportation, and you're praying and crying out to God, and God worked in some supernatural ways to provide a way for you to get around. And they see your car in the parking lot, and they say, hey, I, I notice you're driving something different. And instead of just kind of saying, well, yeah, I was able to pick up this vehicle, you tell them the God story. You tell them, you know, we were really praying, finances were really tight, and this is how 
God came through. That testimony is going to reveal where the hearts of your coworkers are at. Some of them are going to start fidgeting with their papers, getting out their phones, yawning, I got to go. Maybe someone that's really bold will say, you know, I don't believe that. That was just coincidence. But then there'll be some that they'll go, oh, wow. And you'll begin to see that their heart is turned towards the Lord. This miracle, this testimony, it revealed the hearts. In verse 40 and 41, Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Can't you just hear the attitude and the arrogance? Like, you really think that we're blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Their greatest sin was their unwillingness to see their own sin. Their unwillingness to walk in humility and realize that they needed a Savior. So what do we learn from this man's testimony? It was simple, and it focused on what God had done in his life, and he didn't back down. He didn't allow fear to take over in his life. He says, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about it. I don't know. But this is what I know. This is what God has done in my life, and, and he shared it. Now let's look at Acts 26. Turn with me to, over to Acts chapter 26. This is the Apostle Paul sharing his testimony, God's story in his life. Paul's testimony is included three times in the book of Acts, showing us the power of, of a testimony. He's talking to King Agrippa. He's brought before this king. He uses this court trial as an opportunity to be able to share about Christ. Paul, and you, you know about his writings, he's a very systematic writer. He presents things like a lawyer. So he divides his testimony into a lead-in. He's got an opening statement. It's kind of his, his tagline. And then he goes into his life before Christ. And then how he got saved. How he encountered Christ. And then what his life was like after he received Christ. And then he gives us his closing statement. So he gives us an outline of how to be able to tell our story. Let's look at it. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Paul loved it when someone said that to him. You got an open stage, open opportunity. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all of the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you, hear me patiently. This is the lead-in, and I think it's brilliant. Why is it brilliant? Because Paul, in his heart, genuinely, deep down inside, he counts it as a great privilege to be talking with King Agrippa. And that's expressed in his language. And I think if we adopt that attitude when we're encountering people, it will give us an opportunity to share the gospel. It will give us a bridge to be able to share our testimony. It is so great to talk to you. It is so great to see you. How, how are you doing? It's a privilege to be before you. Also, I think Paul is using wisdom in complimenting King Agrippa. And some might say this is kind of underhanded. I think this is wisdom. Everybody likes to be complimented. You know, try a lead-in conversation like, you're a real jerk. Now let me tell you about Jesus. You know, 
It's like, what? Like, you just call me a jerk. You're a jerk. No, you're a jerk. Well, Jesus loves jerks. You know? No, it's not very effective, right? If I'm standing before King Agrippa to have my life on the line, one, I wouldn't really think it's a privilege to talk to him. And secondly, it would be, look at all of his negative traits. I'm sure King Agrippa had a bunch of negative traits, but instead, he compliments him on how well he knows the issues of the Jews. So that's his, his lead-in. And then he describes from verse 4 to 11 what his life was like before he received Christ. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. So he's saying, I grew up in Jerusalem. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. There's something innate inside of us when we meet someone, we want to know where they're from. Even if I'm on a plane and I, I meet a stranger, I find myself saying, where did you grow up? You know, what was your family like? You know, how many siblings did, did you have? And so, so Paul's saying, I grew up in Jerusalem. The testimony that we watched uh, of propaganda, he said, I grew up in, and he began to share where he grew up in outside of LA. And he had you. I, I watched you guys. You know, why? Because he just began to share a little bit about, about his life. This is a great way to begin with people. I was, I was born here. This was a little bit of what my life was like. Maybe it was a lot of trauma. Maybe it was really exciting. Maybe it was super boring. You're like, I grew up in a small town. Not a lot happened. Just begin to, to share with them. And now I stand and I, and I judged, am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving God day and night obtained to hope. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I thought my, I, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. And when we're talking about our life before Christ, remember, what we're really trying to talk about is the gospel. What we're really trying to talk about is Jesus. We want to make sure that the focus is on Jesus, not on ourselves. Sometimes when people share their testimony, they talk for 20 minutes about themselves and for 20 seconds about Jesus. So we want to make sure that what we're sharing is leading to Jesus. And that's what Paul does here. He says, this was my attitude towards Jesus. I was contrary to Jesus. And that's a good thing to bring up with people as you begin to share your story. I didn't always love Jesus. I didn't always appreciate Jesus. I, ha I had a hard heart towards Christ. I didn't want anything to do with Christ, if that's true, if that's what your life was like. Maybe you always had a heart for Christ and you share that. This also I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests when they were put to death. So Paul had them arrested and put to death. I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So what was your life like before you received Christ? What were you like internally? Was there a lack of peace, a fear of death, something missing, no meaning in life, a desire to be in control, loneliness, 
addiction, bondage? What was it? I know for me, it was an extreme sense of emptiness. Had made a profession of Christ as a young child, but really wasn't walking with the Lord. And then I was in high school, and I felt so incredibly empty. And it was that emptiness that caused me to cry out to Christ. Well, what was it in your life? What was going on in your life? Did God turn everything upside down? You know, where is everything going really good? What were you feeling? What was, what was your life like? Isn't it kind of encouraging to stop and think about, man, my life was so empty before I was in relationship with Christ. And, and meditate on that and be able to share it. What was your attitude towards Christ? Now he shares his encounter with Christ. He shares the how. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me, and thus who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The how. He shares the how. How God got a hold of his, his life. And again, this comes in all shapes and sizes. For some, it's super dramatic, like the Apostle Paul. And then for others of you, it's more of like what we saw in propaganda's testimony where you were slow cooked. Don't you love that line? It's like, this is a gradual process that led up to this point when my dad shared Psalms 139 with me. You know, you may have been sitting in your car and you came to that point of, I need to receive Christ as my Savior. You may have been listening to the radio and the gospel was shared and you responded. Maybe you were in a church service. But what was the moment? How? What, what took place? When did you surrender your life to Christ? I was a young child and I meant it. You know, and then at this moment, we want to include the gospel. We want to include, you know, Jesus died for my sins. He rose again. It was through faith in what he did that caused me to receive salvation. And Christ can forgive you too. And, and we have to remember, this is so important. The power is not in my story. Amen? The power is in the gospel. And Paul said that he was determined to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. When he shared, he came in fear and trembling. He said that his words were not persuasive, but he declared what Christ had done upon the cross. And we always want to include the cross in what Christ has done for us. In verse 19, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Now he starts to talk about what his life is like since he received Christ as his Savior. For these reasons, 
the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having attained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer and that he be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. He gets into his closing statement. He says, Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. <laughs> Agrippa's like, oh, you're one of those crazies that's always got his head in a book. You've lost it. You've lost your mind. But he said, I'm not mad. Most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I'm convinced that none of these things escape his attention since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. He calls them to appoint a decision. And this is important as we're sharing the gospel and, and sharing our testimony. Say, what do you think about Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? And that's the, his closing statement. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. That is the worst response ever, right? You know, you almost want to hear, obviously, a yes, and if not a yes, a no. But like, you almost, you almost persuaded me. How many people don't go to heaven by an almost, you know? I almost believed. I was almost ready to receive Christ as my Savior. And Paul said, I would to God, not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether just as I am, except for these chains. So now let's look at the back of this, if you've got this. Also, it's going to come up on uh, the main screens. Is with your story, break your story into five major points or five major segments. God's story in your life. First, the opening. You know, every sermon that I give, I put a lot of time and thought into the opening, even if it's really simple. Why? Because I'm nervous. So the opening might be, turn in your Bibles to Mark 16, John 9, and Acts 26. But I know that I'm going to say that because when I come up here and the butterflies are here, that it doesn't come out like, I want to be my Right? Because that's what you're feeling inside. So you, you want to prepare a little bit of an, of an opening statement that gives a theme of your testimony. Okay? So my life went from emptiness to being fulfilled in Christ. I went from being forsaken to being forgiven. It can be as simple as, you know what? I'd like to share with you what God has done in my life. Remember, the power is in Christ's sacrifice. It's not in my persuasive words. It's, it's not in this clever kind of introduction, but a little bit of preparation to know how to begin the conversation. I'd like to share with you what Christ has done in my life. That, that's a great way to lead into your testimony. Then the next major division as you're preparing your testimony was your life before Christ. It's just sharing a little bit of what, what your life was like before you received Christ as your Savior. What was your passions? What was your priorities? How did it turn out? You know, 
and begin to write that down and, and document that and, and think about that. And then your encounter with Christ. And this is where you want to include the gospel. How did you come to know Christ as your Savior? If it was the process of years, put that down. If it was over a few moments, put that down. But what was the how? And that's where you want to include the gospel. And then how has your life changed with Christ? You're changing your character. You're changing your attitude. You're changing your, your perspective. And then the last major division is a closing statement. So what do you think about Christ? Everybody has an opinion about Christ. Never met somebody that says, well, I've never thought about Christ before. I really don't have an opinion about Christ. They've got something to say about Christ. Give them an opportunity to talk and share. Here's a few helpful hints. It's right the way you speak. So I'm really encouraging you tonight to take some time to actually write out your, your testimony and write the way that you speak. And it's really important to be who God has made you to be. As we look in the New Testament with the disciples sharing, they all didn't share the same way. Why? Because they were different people with different testimonies, different stories. And that's the beauty of God's story being revealed in your life. Again, this testimony that we watched tonight, he was being himself, right? So be yourself, write, write it down the way that you speak. Also, be truthful. I think this is so important in sharing what God has done in our lives. We don't want to exaggerate. This isn't fishing here, okay? Now, I, I caught a fish this big, but by the time I was back at church and talking about the fish, it was this big, right? So just be accurate and truthful, Whatever your life was like before Christ, that's what it was like before Christ. If it was really rough, it was really rough. You know, if you were leave it to beaver, you needed to be saved just as much as anybody's life that was really rough, right? So you could say, I was a leave it to beaver, and I didn't really think I needed the death of Jesus Christ. Just be truthful about what it was. And I think this is really, really important as we share our testimony. We be truthful now. Say, you know, I still struggle with sin. Sometimes I, I do things that I'm really ashamed of. But you know what? Christ forgives me because of what he's done upon the cross and rising again. I'm not telling you that if you receive Christ as your Savior that you're never going to have any more problems in your life. I have problems in my life as well, but I know that Christ will never leave me or forsake me. That's honest, and it's real, and that's what God, God uses. And so, so be truthful. Try to limit to three minutes. Why? Because... If you talk too long, sometimes we lose the opportunity. Now, now I need to listen to that advice right there, you know. <laughs> and then rely on the Holy Spirit. This is, this is so important. It's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that enables us to be a witness. So, th so there is some preparation of, okay, God, I'm ready to be able to share my testimony. It's really listening to the Holy Spirit of, God, what are you doing in this person's right in their life right now? And what are the words that you would give me to be able to speak? Now, I know that for many of you, you're sharing the gospel and you're sharing your testimony, but maybe it's been a while since you've given some thought to it. As I would encourage you to meditate upon it, write it out again, and ask that God would give you an opportunity to share your testimony. Be intentional, take a risk, take a step of faith. And, and share your testimony. And then I'm sure for some of you, you're going, you know, these last few weeks have been really uncomfortable for me. I don't want to go and preach the gospel. 
This is really intimidating. I can't imagine that I would ever, ever do this. And take this step of faith first to, to really look at this. You know, we, we've printed this out. I know for me, when I've been at conferences or listened to sermons, when they give me something like this and I spend 15 minutes with it, God really uses it. So, so grab this and commit to actually writing this down. And this is where I think it really helps is do it with another believer, okay? So if you're married, do it with your spouse. What a fun thing to do with your spouse, you know? A great date night activity. Maybe you don't get the date night activity. A great evening discussion. Write out your testimony and share it together. Your single Christian friend. Grab a Christian friend. Text them tonight if they're here. Talk to them tonight and say, look, let's fill this out. Let's do this. And then let's share this with one another. Right in a moment here, we're going to end service and head out into the foyer. The coffee shop is open. The well and sit down and take some opportunity to share your testimony with another believer. Ask him, say, how did you come to know Christ as your Savior? I bet you have some really good friends, just like me, that you don't know their testimony. You don't know how they came to know Christ as their Savior, you know? Maybe your kids, they don't know your testimony. They don't know how you came to know Christ as your Savior. Also, our testimony is ongoing. God's story in our life is ongoing, amen? is not stopped working in our lives. Sometimes it is sharing with people how we came to know Christ as our Savior. Sometimes it's sharing with them the reality of what God's doing currently in our lives. You know, for me, it would be, man, my dad just spent 23 days in the hospital. We weren't sure if he was going to make it. It was extremely difficult, but we had hope in that because Jesus was with us. See, that's testimony. And so, so testimony is how we came to know Christ, but also what God is doing currently in our lives. I'm excited to see about the fruit that God's going to bring, the way that he's going to stir things up. But this is what I want us to see first and foremost, is every believer has a testimony. Don't discredit it because you're discrediting God's work in your life. And be willing to share it. God is going to bring people into your life that he wants to use your story in their life. Somebody else's story wouldn't connect with them. But God's story in your life will connect with them. You don't have to be a master in theology. You don't have to have the Bible down. You don't have to be afraid of them asking you hard questions. Hey, I don't know about that, but this is what I do know. This is what Christ has done in my life. So let's stand and let's pray this in together. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. Thank you that you've pursued us by your grace. This man was blind and he could see and we were lost in our sins and you have brought us to a place of forgiveness. God, would you do a work in our hearts that only you can do that would give us a real excitement and willingness and boldness to share the gospel and be a witness of what you have done in our lives. So help us to be looking for opportunities, but also would you give us opportunities? God, we pray for those tonight that are here that are saying, man, I really haven't given my heart to Christ. We pray that tonight would be the night that they would come to know you. By your grace, would you bring a lot of fruit out of our time together? In Jesus' name, amen.